Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to everybody online. My name is Taylor, and I'm the director of Kid Life here at River Glen. So I have the privilege of working with our kids here at the church, and I'm so excited about that. I love your guys' kids and have a lot of fun with them. Well, for all you parents out there that have been quarantined in the land of endless laundry and dishes, I'm praying for you. One of our awesome River Glen moms actually sent me this meme recently and asked if I could personally call out her children who think that online church is the perfect time to fight with one another. So I'm just going to give a public service announcement to all the kids out there in my best teacher voice. Kids, sit down. Your parents are sick of it. They've been quarantined with you for months. Please give them the next 20 minutes to just enjoy church. The service today is actually going to be about kids, so this is really important for you to hear. Okay, cool. Awesome. Hopefully that helps to all you at home. Well, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. I'm sure this isn't your normal type of Father's Day. There's no sports to watch, and I'm sure that you're tired of watching Netflix. Well, I thought maybe just to make you laugh, I could tell you a few dad jokes that I found on Google instead. All right. Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? Great food, no atmosphere. Why can't a nose be 12 inches long? Because then it'd be a foot. And one more. My wife told me to take the spider out instead of killing him. So I took him out, we had a few drinks. Nice guy, he's a web designer. There you go. I feel like those are jokes that John Howard or Dave Cole would tell me in the office. If you know them, you know. Um, so I have to give a special shout out to my husband, John. Happy first Father's Day. Um, watching you become a dad has been one of the most special things that's ever happened to me. I love you so much and I'm so excited to parent with you. Another Father's Day shout out to my dad, Ben. Um, my gift to you this year is a weekend off of preaching. I hope that you're at home in your pajamas. Um, but seriously, thank you so much for being a wonderful leader and for always cheering me on and supporting me. I love you and appreciate you so much. Well, I know that Father's Day can really look different for a lot of us. It might be a day that makes you want to celebrate, or it might be a day that brings up some hard feelings. Maybe you didn't have a very good relationship with your dad. Or maybe this is the first Father's Day where you're mourning the loss of your father. Wherever you're at, I just want you to know that you have a father in heaven who loves you so much, and let's take the chance to celebrate him this Father's Day. Our daughter Emily is going to be a week old in just a week. Well, a couple weeks, sorry. Which is just absolutely insane. There must be some kind of scientific principle we're soon to discover where time moves faster in the first week of a baby's life, the first year. I feel like every time I look at her, she's an inch taller and has learned some kind of new developmental milestone. When I was pregnant, if you were around me and are close to me, you knew that I really wasn't sure if I was ready to be a mom. I know a lot of pregnant women feel this way. I overthought everything, and I worried about every little ache and pain. I spent so much time reading pregnancy books and on WebMD and Google that my husband would occasionally have to take my phone away just so that I could go to sleep. And I became really good friends with Danielle from my doctor's office, who I called on a regular basis. Is this normal? Is that normal? Is this normal? She was so, so gracious. Thank you, Danielle. Many people told me that when I had my baby, my mothering instincts would just kick in. If you have a baby, you know what that means. But if you haven't, I just wondered, would that happen for me? Would I be the first mom that would let their baby cry and wouldn't know what to do? Well, thankfully, I was wrong. When I met Emily, this whole reserve of love and joy that I didn't even know I had broke open inside of me. 
My mothering instincts kicked into action, and running on a few hours of sleep and coffee, I was able to raise and take care of this little baby. Being quarantined with a little baby has been amazing because I've seen so many more of her milestones that I would have missed, and we've really bonded. I also will say, though, that most of my vocabulary right now is mama, dada, baba, all that kind of stuff. So I do appreciate adult conversations. But the coolest thing about having a baby has been similar to what Rhett Walker said. This has given me a glimpse, only a glimpse, at the kind of love that God has for all children. This deep primal instinct where I would lay down my life for her and to see her cry actually hurts my heart. God has that times 100 for every one of his children. A lot of times um, we're thinking about what makes Jesus happy, but this series has been so important because we need to look at what makes him mad. That's what he's passionate about. I've been going to church for quite a long time. Okay, spoiler alert, I've literally been here my whole life. And this whole series has been a really good look at Jesus for me. So let's get down to it. What made Jesus mad? when children are mistreated and separated from God. We're going to be learning that when you welcome a child, you are welcoming Jesus. Over and over again in the Bible, we can see that Jesus is a pretty forgiving guy. I mean, he is the son of God after all. But he gets mad when religious insiders deny access to God to people on the outside. When Jesus got mad, it was always about church people keeping outsiders out. He doesn't get mad at sinners. He actually shows great love and forgiveness to sinners. He has dinner with Zacchaeus. He protects the adulterous Roman from being stoned to death. He uses Paul, who was literally murdering Christians, to write a ton of the New Testament and build the early church. He loves sinners. What Jesus doesn't love is when people who should be ministering to others instead push them away. That ticks him off. Jesus has various run-ins with the Pharisees, who were the Jewish lawmakers. The Pharisees were trying to please God by following all the little rules while ignoring and neglecting the needs of their neighbors. In Matthew 23, we read, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seat of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplace and to be called rabbi. I mean, we see in the Bible, the first commandment is love God. The second commandment is love your neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? It's God's kid. You can't neglect or block the needs of kids or really anybody and make God happy at the same time. And Jesus calls the Pharisees out for this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the, kingdom, you shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. He goes on. Woe to you, teacher of the, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your dill, and your cumin. So they were so careful to follow that religious law that when they were going to make their tithe, they counted out the little seeds to make sure they were really giving 10%. 
He continues, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You guys, the whole point of the gospel is justice, mercy, faithfulness. It's not following the many rules of the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't want any person denied access to him, especially kids who don't have the ability to always get to him if we don't make the way. If we're doing all the right things, reading the Bible, you've got Caleb in your car, you're in a small group, that's great. But if you aren't actively leading people to Jesus, then we're missing the point. Jesus gets even more mad when his own disciples try to deny children access to him. From the book of Mark. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of heaven is like, a child, is like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now if you're anything like me, you've heard this verse a whole bunch of times, and it typically brings this type of picture in mind. Sweet little Jesus with little angel children and lambs in a summer meadow just sipping on lemonade. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but that's not the type of Jesus that we're getting here. The Bible says he was indignant, which is an even madder version of mad. To paraphrase, he's saying to the disciples, you knuckleheads, these kids are the most important thing to me. If you block access to them, you're literally blocking access to yourselves. So what made Jesus mad? Blocking the children from coming to him. He's mad because he's passionate. He loves every single one of these children so much that to see them denied access is just unacceptable. Children are innocent and have less of a voice to advocate for themselves. The world is going to try to lead them down many paths, and many of those paths lead toward destruction. It's up to us to lead them down the right path. So many of you may be thinking, all right, Taylor, sounds good. I'm going to go start working on dinner or look at Facebook because I don't have kids. I'm not really around kids. I would never block a kid, so this doesn't really apply to me. Well, I'm just going to shoot straight with everybody. If you aren't actively leading kids to Jesus, you're blocking them. They're not going to find him on their own. You may not be taking steps to separate kids from Jesus, but if you aren't leading the way, the voice of the world is just going to become louder and louder, and it's going to pull them in different directions. Kids depend on us as adults for their physical needs, and would you ever let your child or a child you know go hungry? If you knew they were hungry, you'd make them a sandwich. In the same way, we're also responsible for their spiritual needs. We are to feed them spiritually. Parents, you need to set a good example for your kids. Make church and faith a priority at home. You typically wouldn't miss a soccer game or an important school concert. Try to make church as much of a priority. Those of you who have kids that are grown or out of the house, or maybe you just really like kids, we need you on the Kid Life team. We're working on plans where we're going to be able to regather as Kid Life, and we're going to need more volunteers than ever to make that happen. More on that later. And if kids aren't your thing, it's okay, I know they can be a lot, um, we're going to talk more later about child sponsorship and the great opportunity you have today to make a difference in a child's life. So our first point today is this. Help children access Jesus. 
For her book, Sticky Faith, Dr. Kara Powell did a ton of research on why a lot of kids who grow up in the church and everything's going fine become, become disconnected when they turn 18 and become a young adult. She discovered what she called the five-to-one principle. What this means is that each kid and student needs five adults in their life other than a parent who can be a positive role model to them, who can really live out their faith and help the kid figure out what that looks like for them. Imagine how much stronger the faith of this next generation would be if every kid had five adults that they could text or call and say, hey, somebody asked me to do drugs, what do I do? Hey, how do I deal with this conflict with a friend? Um, and I've got to say that the church leaders and volunteers at this church, they really took the time to pour into me growing up. There's absolutely no way I would be standing here right now if it wasn't for countless names that I could name pouring into me over the years. Even when I was an emo teenager and decided that if they were going to make me be merry in the Christmas pageant, I was going to wear my black eyeliner and not smile, thank you for not giving up on me then. I have so many great memories with our youth group growing up, and I'm not alone in feeling this way. I reached out to some of our River Glen alumni, and here's what they had to say. First, from Scott Anderson. The awesome kids and youth groups at River Glen really shaped me into the person I am today. Growing up, the leaders were so important as positive influencers outside the home. They shaped me to be a true follower of Christ as well as the man I am today. I'm so grateful for people like Ken Dooley and Brandon Stevenson that took time to mold a young punk like me. From Lauren Bach. Brandon Stevenson, Jess Beckwith, Tori Dunn, Jen Merritt made a huge impact on my faith in both middle and high school. I loved Go Conference, how it was a different experience all three times I met, and meeting people from the area churches. I was also able to do worship with so many different people from 7th to 12th grade. Bo Belmer said, we had a really, really great small group led by Jerry Pettigrew back in the day, and it provided so many awesome experiences. We would meet after service and then go and do things together on the nights and weekends. It always made me feel involved and surrounded by other people who shared my faith. From Amy Druitz. Youth ministry played a vital role in my growth as a believer and a person. Middle and high school can be a tough time, but having a consistent place to go where I felt safe, valued, and cared for was fundamental in my learning about the Lord and seeing Jesus poured out through the staff, volunteers, and kids out there. So you guys, I got so many responses that I could have taken my 20-something minute sermon and just read them to you. And let that be... Let that show you how important it is that we invest in this next generation. What if when one of these kids that are in the church right now grows up, they pointed to you and said, that person made a difference in my faith? We need to stop thinking about kids and students as the next generation or as the future adults. We need to think of them as the generation of the now. Not to throw shade at all the adults out here, but seriously, the kids in Kid Life and the kids in the youth group, they're the ones bringing kids to this church. They're the ones that have the sleepover and the next day are like, let's go to church. Like, that's really fun for them. So we need to really cheer them on. Um, and if we don't build up this next generation, when we get old, we're really not going to have anything left. This next video kind of shows that. You'll find us laughing, playing, and talking. You'll find us hurting, lying, fighting, and crying. You'll find us in homes, in schools, and in malls. 
You'll find us in parks, on the streets, and in churches. We are your children. We are your children. We are your children. We are your children. Your youth and your responsibility. The call of the world continues to weaken the influence of our families and the church over us. It's becoming harder and harder for us to hear the message of God's love. The time is right for an emphasis on the children and youth of this world. We need a church that will minister to us and incorporate us into the church family. We need to know we matter. We need to know that we are loved. We need to know that life has a purpose. We are disciples in training, not disciples in waiting. Please don't underestimate us. We are the church of today and the church of the future. But you are in danger of losing us. You're losing us. You are losing us. You're 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 losing us. We are within your grasp. Will you do what it takes to reach us? Will you teach us how to live? You can help change our lives. Please take the time to share Christ with us. Because in 10 years, I will be 20. In 10 years, I'll be 15. I'll be 19. 20. 21. 22. 21. 17. I'll be 18. I'll be 15. The question is. The question is. The question is. The question. The question. The question is. The question is. The question. The question is. The question is. In ten years, will it be too late? That's a tearjerker. We can't afford to lose this next generation. They're so smart, guys. They have such a big opportunity to impact the world. The kids in our church are smart and kind, and they're ready to learn more about Jesus. That's one of the many reasons I love River Glen so much is how much we value River, um, student and kid ministry. That shows just how valuable they are. We have a team of volunteers who give their time, which is really only about an hour a week at the most, to pour into this next generation. The problem is we currently have more kids and students than we have adults to minister to them. Um, if every, we're, we're way off of the five to one ratio. I'd love if we could say that we were at that point. And you could be one of those five for the kids in our church. If you head to our website, riverglen.cc, and go to the Family Life page, there's a serving form where you could express your interest to work with kids or students. And the best thing about working with kids and students is you come into it and you're like, I've got this. I'm going to change these kids' lives. And guess what? They change your life. When you learn from them all of the different things, it's amazing. And I've been working in children's ministry for about like five years now, and I volunteered in it for as long as I can remember. And I remember in my first year as a children's pastor, I thought it was really cool. I put out this box on the front of the stage in our classroom and said, okay, kids, these were fourth and fifth graders, put your questions about God and I will answer them. I expected to have all of these questions of, does God fart? Will there be pizza in heaven? Uh, like, is my goldfish in heaven? Like all those kind of questions. But instead, I got this. How is God able to hear all the different people pray at one time? If God loves me, how come he let my grandma die? These are deep questions. Someone needs to answer them. Kids are smart, and it's our duty to teach them and raise them in the faith. I know COVID hasn't been an easy time for parents or really for all of us, but now that school has wrapped up, I'm going to make a challenge to parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles, anyone who has a relationship with a child, 
utilize the rest of this summer to grow together. At this point right now, we're not having our typical kid life programming, but we do have these amazing online resources, and they're there for you as a tool, and I really hope that it'll create a pattern of faith development in the home that you could continue after this. I encourage all of you to use those resources. You may just learn something too. And all of this because God's plan is for parents to take an active role in the faith development of their kids. You don't have to be extraordinary. Listen to Christian music together. Watch church together. Come to church together. Because I once heard this, and I think it's true. What you can do as a parent, the way that you can impact your child's faith, is way better than any children's ministry program that I can give them. All right, let's take a look at Matthew 18. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. So this is interesting Because Jesus isn't saying this to a group of parents. He's saying this to his disciples. And this actually makes a really big statement to us all as Christ followers. It shows that children are the responsibility, not just of the parents, but of the church. It's our responsibility to be helping each other out and teaching each other's children. Because when you welcome a child, you're welcoming Jesus. Now, if you've ever thought the Bible was kind of boring, it's okay if you do. Sometimes it's kind of boring. Um, This next part really gets pretty crazy. Um, Jesus goes on to say, If any one of you causes these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay. Well, if that doesn't show that we are not getting little lamb Jesus, we're pretty much getting gangster Jesus right now. Sounds like something Tony Soprano would say. You mess with one of my kids, I'll throw you in the ocean. Okay, how does that sound? And this isn't something that we're supposed to be taking metaphorically. If you look in your history books, dust them off, this was actually a form of capital punishment back then. If you did a bad crime, they would tie a big rock around your neck and throw you in the ocean. Good luck swimming with that. This is serious stuff, guys. Jesus doesn't want anyone messing with his kids. If you block a child from coming to me, if you cause one of them to stumble, if you don't help with the faith development of children, it would be better for you to be thrown in the sea. And the context of this is the disciples were actually arguing about which disciple was the greatest. I think that we're, for, we're dealing with you know men with their 20s and 30s here. And Jesus calls them out for missing the point. He says, hey, None of you will be the greatest. This child is the greatest. If you welcome a child, you welcome Jesus. The opposite of someone who hinders a child is someone who advocates for a child. The Bible is calling us to advocate for children. Our second point today is advocate for all children as Jesus would. We have the opportunity to advocate for kids in Nairobi, Kenya. Mother Teresa said, the problem with the world is that we draw our family circle too small. Well, guys, I think Mother Teresa knew what she was talking about. When we limit our family circle to those who live in our home, we, a lot of other people miss out. We cut others off. And when we draw our Christian circle too small, we deny outsiders access to Jesus. 
We have an amazing sponsorship opportunity with Babadoga School in Kenya. You can step up and be one of the five for these kids in Kenya. I think we can all agree that there's a lot of things that we take for granted. Our cars, our jobs, and even more take for granted just the fact that our country has infrastructure. We all have plumbing, we have electricity, we have access to the internet. Current research estimates that 50% of the world makes less than $2.50 a day. How many of us would spend $2.50 on a coffee and not even think about it? 80% of the world makes less than $10 a day. Honestly, I can't get through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A for under 10 bucks. Good thing it's got free sauce to go with it. Well, I'm not a numbers person, so I want to paint you guys a picture of what this looks like. Imagine you live in a mud hut. You have dirt floors and a thatched roof. It's only 12 by 12 feet big. You're sharing that space with 12 family members and your livestock. The closest water source is two miles away, and you walk that at least once a day just to get fresh water. You're lucky to have one meal a day, which is probably something like rice and beans. Diseases run rampant in your community, and your prayer is just that it doesn't take the life of your family and your children. School and healthcare are luxury commodities. Many families can't afford to send their kids to school. Jesus is calling us to protect these types of kids too. You may be thinking, wow, this is such a big problem. How could someone like me here in Wisconsin help? And that's why we have this sponsorship partnership with Babadoga School in Kenya. It only costs $38 a month to sponsor one of these kids. And you're giving these kids access to school, food, and healthcare like they otherwise would not have. You're stepping in and helping them like Jesus calls us to. When you welcome one of these kids, you're welcoming Jesus. This next video shows the difference you can make. When children are sponsored, that money helps provide for education, food while at school, spiritual and social support, uh, as well as you know, helping to keep improving our facilities for the schools. And now because the schools are closed, uh, what our teachers are doing, they have been reaching out to the parents of the children and sending out schoolwork. Then our teachers and our social workers have been reaching out to these children, sending schoolwork to their phones or to their neighbors' phones. Each child has a, at least a notebook or some notebooks where they do the schoolwork. And then the, the parents take pictures of the schoolwork and send back to the teachers. It seems like uh, the devil is really wanting to hit on America right now. Yet there are so many people in America that have been a blessing to so many people in the rest of the world. Like for us, the children we have in missions of hope, that would not have happened if it were not for Americans. I can say 99% of the support, call it financial support, call it moral support, call it spiritual support that we have in missions of hope for the children, it is all from America. The communities that we are serving in, there are many limitations, uh, and especially when it comes to the conditions in which the people live in. Social distancing is not practical. 
and uh, it can be disastrous when you think about of an infectious disease and so just pray for the protection of the children and, and i know god is faithful in whichever way i know he is able to protect them and their families and also pray for our staff even as uh, we try to reach out to these communities because we cannot just disappear we we have to give the message of hope to these communities so that uh, as we work among them as we distribute food that god would protect uh, all our staff members it is times like this that people are very vulnerable this is the time that uh, they are so willing you know to listen to the gospel and so we are praying for a big harvest in the kingdom Christianity Today has named child sponsorship as the leading long-term strategy for the alleviation of extreme poverty. They say when someone decides to be a sponsor, they are not only providing health care, education, nutrition, and spiritual development for a child in need, they're also investing human resources who can lead themselves, their families, and their community, and their nation out of poverty. When you sponsor a child, you'll receive letters from them and you can write back to them. And it's so cool to watch them grow up. I've been sponsoring my kid, Rajabu, for eight years and I love it when he writes to me. He tells me about his family and school and he always takes the time to write out a prayer for me, which always just rocks my world that with everything he's got going on, he would take the time to pray for me. Stick around after the message today. Sue and Dave are going to be telling us more of the details of how you can sponsor one of these kids. And I would just love to see River Glen rise up and make a difference in the, their, those kids' lives and the kids in our church. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Matthew 18. The kids in this church need you in their corner. The kids in Kenya need your support. Can you lead them to Jesus? Let's pray. God, we just come before you today and recognize the need that is present in this church and in this world. And God, I pray that you would show us the way that we can be a support. And God, we thank you so much for how you love us. And on this Father's Day, thank you for being our Heavenly Father. I pray for all those out there that are affected by maybe the loss of their father where this is a hard holiday. In your name we pray, amen.